pottery jars. Inside here they found some of the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and it says here Qumran Cave 1. And what was interesting about Cave 1, it's about a mile or so from Qumran itself. Um, and so the connection to Qumran has been questioned by some scholars. Meaning one theory is that there were people who were fleeing Jerusalem and on their way to Masada perhaps where they, head up, they hid out, they might have dropped off their scrolls, hidden them in, in this cave, because this cave is actually a different sort of cave than Cave 4, which is at Qumran itself. But in any event, this was the original one that was discovered by the Bedouin in 1947, and the reason the scrolls were so well preserved in Cave 1, well, if you look at Cave 4, you find little fragments, some of them smaller, than, most of them smaller than your hand. Uh, cave 1, you find in whole scrolls, like the entire scroll of Isaiah, you find and you find other uh, complete scrolls and, um, and in large sections. And the reason they were so well preserved is that um, they were put in these jars and then the jars were sealed with pitch. Pitch is essentially natural tar or um, more specifically um, asphalt, natural asphalt. And an interesting thing about the Dead Sea is it was, a, it was known in, um, in Latin as Mara Asphaltum, the asphalt sea. And that's because there was a layer of asphalt, naturally occurring asphalt on the top of the sea. There were like floating, like, you know, strips of asphalt all over the place. And people would come from all over the world to mine it from there. There's none left because it's been mined into, you know, extinction. They sometimes find it buried on the shore um, underneath the mud. But, so they took the pitch from the Dead Sea, sealed it, and it was hermetically sealed for 2,000 years. And that's the interesting thing about Cave 1, is you find these complete scrolls. In Cave 4, you find the fragments, and they were fragments in ancient times. I mean, these were scrolls that people said, I can't use this anymore, it's falling apart. Oh. And they stuck them in the cave. Okay. And without any protection, they weren't like sealed in, in a jar. Whereas in Cave 1, they were sealed in a jar. Somebody probably intended to come back and, and get them. Mm. And so it's very possible that the Cave 1 scrolls are different from the Cave 4 scrolls. Mm -hmm. um, that people were hiding the scrolls there thinking they'd come back. Cave 4, that was what's called a Geniza. A Geniza is a place you put an old book. They have that in pretty much every synagogue in the world has a place where you put the old books. We don't throw books away in the garbage. Books are considered mm -hmm. sacred. Um, in the Cairo Geniza from the Middle Ages, they find love letters. They find contracts. They find all kinds of documents because Jews considered any written document, even if it wasn't scripture, to be sacred. The written word was considered mm -hmm. sacred. Mm -hmm. okay. so. On the other side of the uh, tunnel here, we've got another one, and, and that's definitely three feet. It's uh, right. and that, and that's, that's much taller. And that's actually the type... Um, that we have, that we're actually standing under, meaning the, that the building we're standing under, uh, we're standing in, mm -hmm. is a replica essentially, or a, a reproduction right. of that of that. And the lid, and the lid is, lid. yep, yep, and that's the shape. Now we have actually entered the shrine. Oh my goodness! So we are on the inside. You can tell. I mean, the roof is, as it seems, on the outside, this dome shape. Wow. We're on the inside of the lid. And, and up there is actually a replica of the Isaiah scroll. The original Isaiah scroll is hidden so what, in the vault. So what we're looking at is a, uh, a giant uh, a Torah scroll handle, right? Exactly. They call that the Eitz Chaim, the Tree of Life. That's the, um, the, uh, one of the two um, handles of the Torah scroll. Wow. Um, and then the Isaiah scroll is wrapped around it. Now, this is very impressive. Where do we begin? Let's start over here. Okay. So they... they break up the scrolls into two main categories, the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's the biblical scrolls and what they call the sectarian or non-biblical scrolls. And really there's a third category which are like, docu um, like contracts and secular documents. Here is one of the sectarian or non-biblical scrolls and this one's called the War of the Sons of Light and the Sons of Darkness. 
and and they talk about this end times apocalyptic war that will take place between the the righteous people and the wicked people mm-hmm. and of course the people at Qumran they were the righteous and pretty much everybody else was the wicked right. and the war is described in really vivid detail down to like the battle formations of what will be written on the spears of the different you know uh, battle formations and and the interesting thing is they use a couple of roman terms for these battle formations there's a, a ter- term that essentially is the i think it's the phalanx which is a certain type of battle formation that the the romans used and, uh, and that pretty much dates these scrolls to probably around of when they were they were originally composed probably around 100 150 bc mm-hmm. sometime around there when they first came into contact with the roman world um What's interesting is they're written in Hebrew, and they're written in a type of Hebrew that very clearly was a spoken dialect. Um, it's not exactly biblical Hebrew. It's somewhat different, you know, because the language evolved over time. Um, you know, the last biblical book dates to around 400 B.C., the book of, um, of Chronicles is around from 350 maybe B.C., and this one is, you know, 250 years later. Mm. Well, the language changed over time, mm-hmm. and you can see that in the writing. And that's one of the really exciting things about the Dead Sea Scrolls. You're seeing this living language in Hebrew. Um, it was still the language of many of the people. Mm-hmm. So I'm just reading here uh, in regards to this fragment. Mm-hmm. It talks about uh, the forces of the sons of light, aided by God himself, his angels, mm-hmm. will vanquish the forces of Belial. Right, so in, in the writings of the, the Essenes in the Dead Sea Scrolls, Bilial, which is a word that appears in Deuteronomy, mm. Bilial or Belial, Bilial literally means without yoke, Biliol, and some people say it means Biliyaal, without effectiveness. But anyway, they usually translate it as worthless. Well, in the writings of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that becomes another word for Satan. Satan becomes this independent force in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and um, the good people are fighting the bad people. So, yeah, so it says, as Satan is called in the sect's writings, is this the first time that we see uh, Satan portrayed as such? That's an interesting question. I think you find it in some of the, what's called the pseudepigrapha. Mm -hmm. Now, the pseudepigrapha, many of those now we know are writings of the Essenes. Because really? because we found some of those scrolls in their in their library. Here's a, here's a question that you know off the top of your head, maybe you don't know the answer, but yeah. what would have influenced them? What other um, culture or, or religion or what would have influenced them to have portrayed a, a capital S Satan in such a way? Well, so the common answer that you, that scholars will will present is that this was a time when the Jews were heavily influenced by Zoroastrianism. Mm-hmm. That was the main religion of Persia. Um, you know, the, even the Jews in Israel were heavily influenced by Persia. There was a large Jewish community in Babylon, and Babylon at the time was ruled by Persia. And the arch enemy of the Roman Empire throughout that period, for hundreds and hundreds of years, you know, we think of it as the Germanic tribes. It was really the the Persians. Mm-hmm. And in uh, 40 BC, for example, Jewish agents from Babylon, sent by the Persians, came and fomented a rebellion against the Romans and actually drove out the Romans, and for three years there was an, an independent Jewish state under the, the umbrella of, of Persian, not Persian rule, but they were basically a Persian satellite. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was direct connection between people coming from Persia to Israel, and, and there was heavy influence by Persian ideas, and Zoroastrianism is a religion, the religion of Persia, that says there's two gods, the good god and the evil god. Mm-hmm. And Every scholar who studied this scroll, the Sons of Light and the Sons of Darkness, says this is direct influence from Persia. Mm-hmm. That you don't see this type of um, this type of heart, you know dichotomy, this type of good and evil. Um, you do see good and evil. Good, you know, there's a tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But you don't see the entire universe as 
the good people against the bad people, and and the two spiritual forces. You Mm. see in the Tanakh, you see there's the good people, and they're under the auspices of God, and you see the bad people, and they're not under the auspices of God, and sometimes he sends Satan out to mess with them. But they're not the minions of Satan, you Mm. know, the disciples of Satan. They're actually subject to his... um, Mm. As we see in Job, right? right. And Satan means enemy. Mm. He's not God's enemy. He's the people who aren't loyal to he's God's the one enemy. who is acting he's, as the adversary right. to the he's, to the individual he's the adversary against the people who are who are evil um, he goes and he, he you know messes he goes with and them. obeys Jehovah's command he can only obey Jehovah it's very clear that's right show. that's right and so this is generally seen by scholars to be the influence of Zoroastrianism mm, very interesting fascinating moving on